Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, This morning we are in Revelation, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, it's in the back of your Bible. Um, Revelation chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. And this morning we're looking at the church of Philadelphia, uh, the church in Philadelphia. Um, And so I'm going to read the text. And we'll pray, and then we'll dive into this morning's message. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the king of David, who has the key of David, excuse me, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Behold, you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven. In my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you this morning thankful for the opportunity to gather together as the church, thankful for the opportunity to open your word and to study your text, God. And as we walk through your word to us this morning, help us to take this message that was first delivered to the church of Philadelphia, but is now delivered to our church here thousands of years later. Help us to take this word and apply it to our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this last week, uh, I texted my dad a picture uh, of a fire that was burning in our fireplace. And uh, he, he couldn't believe that it was cold enough for me to have a fire in my fireplace. But and my dad's belief was not misplaced. I mean, it is kind of hard to believe that like mid-October we're able to, to have a fire in our, in our fireplace. But, you know, it's Texas and fireplace weather comes and goes depending on the da- day, sometimes depending on the hour. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure that, that many of you, if you have a fireplace at your house, many of you might have enjoyed a fire in your fireplace much like we did this last week at our house. And probably like me, you had to, to split some firewood in order to get your, your fire going. And at our last home, we didn't have a fireplace, and so I didn't have an axe that I could split the firewood with. And so I had to go down to the store, and so I took a trip down to Ace Hardware. And, and when I got there, I found out that there are a couple different styles of axes. Uh, I didn't know this, but there's an axe that you use to, to clear things with, and then there's also an axe that you could use to, to cut firewood with, to split that firewood in half. And so I bought the axe that, that you use to split the firewood 
in half. You see, it's important that you have the right tool for the job. When, when you don't have the right tool for the job, it, it, is, it, is, it is difficult, if not impossible, to get things going. And thankfully, in my case, the axe that I bought was the right tool for the job. I was able to take that wood that we had and I, I split it pretty easily, got it in the fireplace and got our, our fire going. Having the right tool for the job is absolutely crucial. If I wouldn't have had that axe, all I had was a bow saw. And so I would have been out there, you know, cutting those, those pieces of, of logs that we had in, in, in half with the bow saw. And, and that would have taken forever and we probably wouldn't have very many fires in our fireplace this, last, this, this winter. And so having the right tool for the job is absolutely crucial. I know that. You know that. Jesus knows that, especially when it comes to his church. When we consider the church, we learn that Jesus is the one who builds the church. Amen. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus, at, at the end of an exchange with Peter, he says this, And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, Jesus' statement here is not, is not a proof text for the Pope. Rather, the context teaches us that, that Jesus is talking about Peter's confession of faith. Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. He is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the one who has come, and he has died on our behalf. And so Jesus' sacrifice here was, was necessary because we believe as Christians that we have rebelled against God. And because of our rebellion, we do not deserve, we, do, we deserve God's wrath. We have, we have warred against God. We have rebelled against him. We have sought his throne for our own. And so we deserve God's wrath. Now, I understand that that can be a difficult message, especially in the 21st century. You know, we, we think that we deserve a whole lot of things. But the one thing that, that we do deserve, the one thing that, that the Bible tells us that we deserve is God's wrath. But here's the thing, the Bible's message, the Bible's message is not all gloom and doom. There is good news in, in, in the Bible. And the good news is, is that Jesus has come. And Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. He has taken our punishment for us. And Jesus dying for us has always been God's plan. Before the foundations of the world, God had a plan. And his plan is made known right there at the gates of, of Eden as Adam and Eve are, are being kicked out of, the, uh, out of Eden because they have rebelled against God. God gives us a promise that, that, that one will come who will deal with sin, who will deal a death blow to Satan. And Peter, thousands of years later, Peter recognizes that that promised one is Jesus. And he confesses that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And all of those who would confess that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the one that, that all of the text of Scripture has been, been pushing towards, the one who has come to, to die in our place, to take, the, take our sins on himself, to, to absorb the wrath of the Father, the very wrath that we deserve. All of those who would admit that about Jesus, they will experience salvation. And they will become the people of God. They will become the church. And as people confess that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus' church grows. 
You see, Jesus builds his church, and Jesus builds his church one confession at a time. And nothing will stop Jesus from building his church. Not even Satan, not even all of his evil forces. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. Nothing will stop Jesus from building his church. And not only does Jesus build his church one activity at a time, and Satan can't stop it, but Jesus, he uses the church to build the church. As the church confesses these truths about Jesus, others end up confessing those same truths about Jesus, and the church ends up growing one confession at a time. Paul, who is an apostle, a representative of Jesus, a messenger of the church, he says this in 2 Corinthians, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we see that Jesus uses the church to build the church because the church is the right tool for the job of making disciples. And while that's true, Jesus does not use every church to make disciples. And this week we explore the church at Philadelphia. Now, the church of Philadelphia, it was located uh, 28 miles southeast of Sardis, which is the last church that, that we looked at last week. And it was one of the two churches that did not receive a, a rebuke from Jesus. There were only two out of, out of all seven. And um, it, was, it wasn't the only church that was not located in a major metropolitan city, but it was located on a major trade route, a major highway that connected the seven cities that, that we are looking at here down to to, to South Asia Minor. And Philadelphia was known for its, its large grape crops and, and the wine that it produced. Um, it produced so much wine that, that its patron deity there was Dionysus, who was the god of wine. And just like with the other churches that we looked at, pagan worship was, was ripe in this area. Pagan worship happened week in and week out, day in and day out. And while the, the, the church at, at, and while Philadelphia, the, the city itself, had this agricultural success, it, was, it lived in an unstable area. There were a lot of earthquakes that took place, and, and so it destroyed the city several times throughout, throughout its lifespan. And the Church of Philadelphia not only experienced these hardships because of the region in which they lived, but, but they were also afflicted by the Jews who lived in that area. It was thought that there was this, this, this fairly decent-sized synagogue that was there, and, and because these folks were not because they had separated themselves from the synagogue, because they had begun to believe in Jesus, they experienced persecution from the synagogue. Look at verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. And so Jesus promises vindication. His promised vindication tells us that this church was most likely oppressed by this, this Jewish synagogue. He calls this synagogue the synagogue of Satan. 
But this, this little church that doesn't have much power at all provides us with a powerful lesson. This little church has no power. It has no power to defend itself, but it teaches us what is required of a church in order to be a disciple-making church. Amen. What is it that, 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 that is required of, of the church so that Jesus might utilize that church as his instrument, as his tool to make disciples? And so how... How can, how can we be a church Jesus uses to make disciples? Look at verse 8. He says, I know your works. And behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And so Jesus begins by telling the church that, that he knows their works. And as we've seen in, in previous passages, you know, Jesus knows all, Jesus sees all. Jesus' eyes are like this blazing fire. And Jesus' eyes, they, they light up the darkness so that he can see everything that takes place. And while that posed a difficulty for the church in, in, in Thyatira, where this was explicitly brought out, the, the, and the others that Jesus rebuked here, Jesus seeing the works of the, of the church in Philadelphia is a positive thing. Their works do not lead Jesus to, to rebuke them. Instead, their works lead Jesus to provide them with some encouragement. And what are the works of the church in Philadelphia? Well, despite their limited resources, despite their, their limited power, despite them, them looking weak, like they cannot accomplish much at all, despite all of the difficulties that, that they have faced and their inability to remove these difficulties, Jesus says they have remained faithful. They have continued to live according to his word and they have not denied Jesus as Lord and as Savior. At the beginning of the year, Pastor Wang Yi of Early Rain Covenant Church in China was sentenced to nine years in prison. And what did he do? Well, he didn't do anything more than we do at Eastridge Baptist every single week. He, he taught God's word. He was open about his beliefs. He fought for, for religious freedom there in China. But the Chinese government, they felt threatened by him and, and by the church that he was leading. And so they stormed in to a hundred of the church members' homes. They arrested them along with, with Pastor Wang Yi. And all of them eventually were released except for Pastor Wang Yi and one of his elders, Ken Defu. In an interview with World Magazine, one of the church leaders, after, after they were arrested, after they were, they were released, and Pastor Wang Yi is still in, in prison, he said this, that they felt encouraged that Wang had stood firm in his faith while in prison. Pastor Wang Yi himself, a, a few years earlier, knowing that, that a time like this is, is probably going to come, he was giving an interview to World Magazine, and he said this, if the Chinese government wants to crack down on China's churches, then most likely we will be a target, Wang said. They would want to crack down on a church that is more influential and open so that everyone knows that winter is coming. You see, even though they, they knew that they could face the mighty fist of, of the Chinese government, they, they continued to press on. They continued to stand, stand firm. They continued to preach the gospel week in and week out. And they also worked with, with other like-minded churches in the area. They worked to, to create a seminary, 
a classical Christian school, a liberal arts college. They worked to create a presbytery. It ran ministries to, to the marginalized in the society. They had, they had legal petitioners and, and families of, of political prisoners and, and the unborn and, and women in, in crisis pregnancies. They fought for all of these types of people. The church did a lot. They, they were open about all of the things that they did. And, and after his arrest, the church, they, they read this letter that Pastor Wang Yi had written in preparation for this time. You see, he knew that this time would come at some point, and he continued to press on. One paragraph in the letter reads, Separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things, Wang wrote in the letter. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life. And no one can raise me from the dead. And that is a bold statement for someone who is there in, in, in this country. That's a bold statement for us to say. It's, it's getting more and more bold for us to say that. And it's very bold for someone to say that in China. Right. It'll get you jailed. It'll get you maybe even killed. And Pastor Wang Yi knew that, and so did his church. But, but despite this pressure, they decided that they were going to stand firm. And they're still standing firm. You see, think about life Life would have been so much easier for them if they just decided that, that they weren't going to be so public about their faith, that they weren't going to, to press into these difficult areas, if they weren't going to preach the gospel faithfully every single week. Life would be, would be good for them. They could have denied Jesus. If they would have just renounced the name of, of Christ, if they, would have, if they would have decided that they weren't going to preach the gospel so faithfully, Pastor Wang Yi and Ken DeFu would not be in prison right now. They would not be separated from their family. Their, their children would not have to, to grow up in their teenage years without a father around. Their wife would not have to go to bed every night without their husband next to them. But they didn't do that. They didn't keep to themselves. They didn't renounce the name of Christ. Instead, they remained faithful to follow Jesus. And the same is true of the church here in Philadelphia. Though there was a different regime in power, though there were different people who were persecuting them, they decided that they were going to worship Christ, that they were going to remain faithful to Him, that they were going to remain steadfast for Him. And Jesus used that church, just like Jesus is using early reign covenant church there in China to make disciples, just like Jesus uses other churches who are standing firm for the gospel, who are preaching the gospel week in and week out to build his church. And that tells us that Jesus uses churches that are faithful to align themselves with God's will to make disciples. And so if you want to experience church growth, if, if you want to be, be used by Jesus to make disciples, you've got to live as kingdom people. You must remain faithful despite the opposition from within and without. You must align yourselves with God's will. Only then will God use you. Only then will you be used to make disciple-making disciples. You see, it's not about, you know, coming up with fancy and slick church growth programs. It's not about being cool and trendy. It's not about, you know, watering down the gospel so as not to, to offend anyone. Instead, it is about living for Christ. It is about faithfully imaging God to the world. It is about living as a church that is aligned with God's will. And a church that is aligned 
with God's will can and will be used by Jesus to transform the lives of others. I mean, think about it. Why why would God grant gospel growth to a church that is not aligned with his will? A church that is not going to make disciple making disciples. God is not going to do that. That wouldn't make any sense. Just like it's your company. If, if you're at work and you have this person who is known not to follow company policy, you're probably not going to enlist that person to train new people who are coming into your company with the company policy. And the same thing with Jesus. Jesus does not provide unhealthy churches people to disciple. Instead, Jesus provides healthy churches people to disciple because those people are going to produce disciples who make disciples. Healthy churches produce healthy churches. And Jesus will use his people who stand firm for him to build his church. And that's Jesus' message to the church at Philadelphia. Because they are a healthy church, he has given them an open door for gospel ministry. And he can provide them an open door for gospel ministry because as we see here in chapter 3, Jesus is the one who holds the keys of David. In other words, he's the one who grants or he's the one who denies access into his eternal kingdom. In this instance, he tells the, the, the church of Philadelphia that he is gonna, he's going to grant people access to his kingdom through their gospel witness. Now, how encouraging is that? I mean, how encouraging would it be for Jesus to come and say, because you have been faithful, out of, out of all of these churches that he is writing to here in the book of Revelation, and, and every one of these churches is getting each of these letters. So it's not like this one letter went to Philadelphia and one letter went to Sardis. Like every letter went to every church. And so they're, 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 they're reading how Jesus is rebuking these other churches. And then, then they begin to read the letter that was written specifically to them. And in Jesus is saying, because you have stood firm, because you have remained steadfast, despite the persecution, despite all of the difficulty that you have experienced, I am going to use you to make disciples. Jesus will build his church. And Jesus can build his church. Because he holds the keys of David. You see, if we're a healthy church, one that stands firm for Jesus, aligning itself with God's will, we can expect that Jesus will use us to bring others to faith as well. And as we see others coming to faith, as we see the church growing, then then we can know, then we can know that Jesus is looking at us and Jesus is saying, you guys are remaining steadfast. You guys are remaining firm. You guys are preaching the gospel. I am allowing you, I'm giving you this open door for gospel ministry. And you are seeing growth because of that. Jesus uses churches that are faithful to align themselves with God's will to make disciples. And while that's true, it's not always easy to stand firm. You know, as we've talked about it in past weeks, it is very difficult to, to capitulate, or it's, it's a real temptation to capitulate to the culture, to give in to, to the culture so that the pressure might be, might be relieved on us. Jesus knows that is a real temptation. That's why Jesus provides both encouragement and the power to keep on keeping on. Look at the text starting in verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, But lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn 
that I have loved you. Here we see that Jesus promises vindication. And so just as the church at at Philadelphia will experience vindication for their beliefs. We will experience vindication as well. Jesus is the, the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is, is, is the King over all of creation. He will vindicate those who are His. And that, that, is not, that is not a new promise that Jesus gives. I mean, it connects all the way back to God's promise to, to those who make up the nation of Israel. In Isaiah 60, verse 14, it says, The sons of those who are afflicted, you shall come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. You see, those who are truly Israel, who stand firm and align themselves with God's will, they will experience vindication. Jesus promises here that he is going to deal with their enemies and Jesus will deal with our enemies at his second coming. As you, as you read through the book of Revelation, you see in, in Revelation chapter 11 that the Jesus reveals this. It, he, it reveals this, this coming time of judgment. And those who remain faithful and true, they, they will not experience Jesus' judgment. But those who don't, those who who who, who persecute his church, those who align themselves against Jesus, they are promised to experience his judgment. And not only will Jesus vindicate those who remain faithful and true, but, but second, we see that Jesus promises to keep them from the hour of trial. Look at verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the world. Now, this verse has caused a lot of debate, particularly in the area of, of whether there's a rapture or not and, and whether the church is going to go through the tribulation or they're going to be raptured out. Now, I tend to believe this verse does not advocate for a raptured church, one that will not experience the tribulation. Instead, I, I believe it means that Jesus is going to keep his people from the hour of trial that is coming. He will keep them from the punishment and, and the wrath of God because they are his people who are sealed by him. And we see this happening in Revelation 6 and, and 7 and, and following. There is, it, is, it is revealed that those who are Jesus's will be, will be brought through this hour of trial because Jesus has, has sealed them. But all those who are not his, who, who set themselves against him, they are going to experience God's judgment. Judgment so great that, that it says there, as you read through the text, that, that people desire to get away from God so much so that they are calling for the rocks of the mountains to come and, and fall down on them to hide them from God. But even then, even with a pile full of rocks over you, you cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from God's judgment. You cannot escape his wrath. Those who escape the tribulation, who, who come through it, they are the ones who have been, who've been sealed by Jesus. And they get to enter into Jesus' eternal kingdom and they will worship Jesus forever and ever. Now, if you think about it, this is a, a drastic turn of events. I mean, you have, you have Christians now who, because they believe in Jesus, because they stand firm for him, they face trial. But Jesus says in the future, 
Things are going to be flipped on its head. Those who, who do not stand firm for me, those who come against my church, those are the ones who are going to face an hour of trial. And the hour of trial that they're going to face is much worse than any trial that any man or any government could ever put you on. We're talking about the God of, of the universe, the creator of, of all things. He will be the one sitting there on the judgment seat. And people will come before him for this hour of trial because they have not stood firm for Jesus. Well, as we continue on, we see third that, that Jesus promises them a place in his eternal kingdom. Look at 11 through 13. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we see here that, that those who do not hold fast, those who, who do not waver, those who hold fast, excuse me, those, those who do not waver, those who conquer, continuing to follow Jesus, continuing to believe in Jesus, they are the ones who are granted access into Jesus's eternal kingdom. Amen. And reading all of that, it seems like the church is going to face some tough times. You see, our best life is not now, it's in the future. Knowing that, you might be tempted to, to just say, man, I, I don't want to face these tough times. I, I'm just going to walk away from the faith. You see, we live in an, an instantaneous world. We live in a world where everything is right there at our fingertips. We carry a computer in our pocket. We live in a world where I don't have to get up when it's cold in my house and go and turn my thermostat up. I can just do it right from my phone in the comfort of my bed underneath my, my warm sheets. I, I can even set a schedule. And, and it would just come on before I even wake up in the morning, before my alarm goes off. We live very, very comfortable lives. And knowing that, that difficulties are ahead, that difficult days lie ahead, we might be tempted. We might be tempted to say, man, I don't want to follow Jesus. This is difficult. This is a, a difficult thing. This is why Jesus says, count the cost. Count the cost before you come and follow me. But following Jesus is what is best for us. Because Jesus promises us eternal life. Jesus promises us life in his eternal kingdom. And the hope that Jesus gives is a hope that lasts for all of eternity. And the hope that, that Jesus has presented us here with, it tells us that a church that is aligned with God's will is, is able to stand firm because of their hope in the gospel. You see, all, all of the promises that we just went to, those, those three promises that Jesus gives the church, they're all gospel promises. They're they are founded on the hope that Jesus has died and that Jesus has, has risen again, that he is the king of his eternal kingdom, that he will bring his kingdom in glory one day. 
and everything is going to be set right. I mean, that is, that is the gospel message, the good news that Jesus lives. The gospel provides us then with the power to face opposition. The gospel is the means by which we, we make disciples. It is the means by which we see the lives of other people being transformed. And the gospel, as we talked about last week, is, is something that we always have to keep in front of ourselves. We must preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another on a regular basis. You see, the gospel is not just the, the ABCs of the Christian life. It's not just that which gets you into the kingdom. It's not just that which makes you a believer. Right? We, don't, we don't just believe the, the gospel message about Jesus and then we, and then we move on to, to something else. Something else that's going to help us live for Christ, right? Some other teaching or practice or, or some other method. That's, that's not how it works. You see, the gospel is the A to Z. It is the beginning and it is the end of the Christian life. Now, of course, we've got to, we've got to dive into God's word. We've got to learn more about how God wants us to live. We've got to learn more about, about Jesus. We've got to learn more about how we align ourselves with God's will, which is found in God's word. But, but we still don't move past the gospel because the gospel is that which gives us the power and the motivation to keep pressing on. The gospel is that which gives us the power to keep, keep reading and keep meditating and keep preaching and keep remaining faithful to Jesus. Without the good news of Jesus that he has died for sinners, what would be, what would be the point at all of, of doing any of those things? I know that, that, if, that if Jesus did not resurrect from the grave... And, and me following Jesus was going to result in all kinds of intense persecution. It wasn't going to be, you know, socially acceptable for me to follow Jesus. Man, I wouldn't follow Jesus. And I know you probably wouldn't follow him, him either. But Jesus has died. And Jesus has resurrected from the grave. And Jesus does provide us with the power. And Jesus does provide us with the motivation to keep living despite the opposition that we face. See, if we want to continue to live for Christ, if we want to be a church that is effective and a church that is used by Jesus as his instruments to bring about life change in others, we must be a church that centers on the gospel. A church that remains centered on the gospel will be used by Jesus to make disciple making disciples because they stand firm, they align themselves with God's will, and Jesus uses churches as his instruments to do that, Amen. to build his church. And just as we need the right tool for the job, Jesus needs the right tool for the job to build his church. And he uses churches that align themselves with God's will to do that. You see, if we want to see growth, if we want to see the pews in this sanctuary full, if we want to see the classrooms full, if we want to see this campus buzzing with life, if we want to be a church that, that plants churches, if we want to see missionaries being sent out across the world, then we have to be sure that we are standing firm for Christ. We have to align ourselves with God's will, which is found in God's word. And in order to do that, we've got to continually preach the gospel to ourselves. We've got to preach the gospel to one another so that we are motivated, so that we are empowered to be a healthy church. See, it's not about church growth strategies or methods. Instead, it is about us being a healthy church that stands firm for Christ, aligning ourselves with God's will found in his word so that we might be able to help others do the same. 
I don't know about you, but, but that's what I want. I want Jesus to use this church. I want us to be a church that makes disciple-making disciples. I want us to be a church that plants churches. I want us to be a church that, that sends missionaries out around the world. And if we're going to see that happen, we've got to press into God's Word. We have to seek His kingdom first. We have to align ourselves with His Word. We've got to preach the gospel to each other and to ourselves. We have to stand firm for Jesus. If we do that, if we do that, Jesus, Jesus will use the church. Jesus will use the church to grow the church because it is a church that is aligned and steadfast with His Word that He uses to make disciple-making disciples. Amen. And so let's purpose to be a church that Jesus uses to build His church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you this morning thankful for your word thankful that you provide your will to us and tell us how things work and Lord as we come to you this morning we ask that you would help us that you would help us to be a people that you can use to build your church Lord and God we ask that you might begin building your church even now, Lord. This morning, if there's someone here who doesn't, doesn't know you, Lord, we ask that, that you might use the message that they've heard today, that they might use the, the songs that we have sung today or the scripture reading that, that we have read today to drive the gospel message into their heart, to call them to yourself so that you might begin building your church so that we might be able to be used by you to begin making disciple-making disciples. Let's we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.